Now let's turn to the Word of God together. We're going to continue our series through the book of Genesis. Last week we started chapter 1. Today we'll finish chapter 1 and just touch on chapter 2. So Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 26, and we'll read through to chapter 2, verse 1. Then God, And I'm reading from the NLT. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our, our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. Now, Pastor Luke's going to bring the message to us. Thank you, Dave. This week on the news, I saw a story of a baby rhinoceros that thinks it's a goat. And on the uh, news report, the goat was sort of bounding around like a goat. And then behind it was this two-ton rhinoceros also bounding along like a goat. And it was quite funny to watch. uh, Because what I was watching is a rhino with an identity crisis. (laughs) What I've seen in life is that many people go through life with an identity crisis. Many Christians go through life with an identity crisis asking, Who am I? And why do I exist? And so I want to start this message with a question. And the question I want to ask you all at the start of this message is, what do you see when you look in the mirror each morning? Uh, A better question might be, who do you see when you look in the mirror each morning? Uh, Do you see what David Young saw when I asked him the same question earlier in the week? He said, I see a flabby tummy. (laughs) And I thought, how sad. And then I thought, well, I said the same thing. Um, What do you see when you look in the mirror? Do you see a flabby tummy? Do you see someone who uh, is a success? Or do you see someone who you think is a failure, someone who hasn't lived up to your own expectations? Do you see someone who's happy or do you see someone who's sad, someone who's content or dissatisfied? Do you see yourself as pretty? I know I do. Or do you see yourself as ugly? (laughs) Do you see yourself as someone with a sense of hope or a sense of hopelessness? Today we're in week two of a series called Beginnings, going through the book of Genesis And this book is incredibly important because it answers questions on who we are, where we came from, and what purpose we have in life. And so over the next two weeks, we're going to look at some of these themes, and we're going to focus on what the purpose of mankind actually is. And so today's message uh, is called The Purpose of Mankind, Part 1. And in today's passage, in the very first chapter of the Bible, we come to the first reference of how we as human beings begun. Last week, we kind of got lost in awe. Uh, at creation, God's creation, how incredible it is. Uh, We talked about the fact that um, scientists say or estimate that it would take 93 billion light years to travel around our universe. 
We talked about the fact that there are 10 billion trillion stars in the known universe. We talked about the fact that we're on planet Earth and, anim- and, and planet Earth has animals as big as the blue whale and as tiny as the ants. And we marveled at the sovereignty of God who created and sustains all things by the power of his word. And so we talked about God and the mind boggles at what God has created and it's so massive and so amazing that we we feel so small in comparison to all of that and yet today we come to a passage where it's highlighted what is the pinnacle of God's creation. What is the, the crown jewel of all that God's created and what we see in Genesis is that mankind is the crown jewel. You and I are the pinnacle of God's creation and that's pretty incredible. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Now that's significant, those words, very good, because it's the first time God says it in the creation account. On day one, he separates the light from the darkness and he says it's good. On day two, he separates the water from the sky and he says it's good. On day three, he separates the earth from the sea, he says it's good. And on day four, he fills the sky with the sun, the moon and the stars and he looks at it all and he says it's good. On day five, he fills the land and the sea with the creatures that swim and the birds of the air and he says it's good. But on day six, after creating humankind, he ups the compliment and he now says it's very good. And so why does he up the compliment after the creation of mankind? Because we are created in his image. Unlike anything else in creation, he has created us in his image. And so in the first chapter of the Bible, we get what theologians have called for hundreds of years the Imago Dei, which is the concept of being created in the image of God. And it's a critical concept for us to understand. One of the most important concepts for us to understand in all of Scripture because it shapes the way we see ourselves and it also shapes the way that we interact with people around us. And so first of all, it shapes the way we see ourselves. When we understand that we are created in the image of God, it should give us a sense of how much God loves us and values us. He cherishes us. The fact that he chose us above everything else in creation just shows us that we have the most worth and the most value of everything that he created. It also tells me that there's not a single person in this room who's an accident. There's not one person who's ever existed on planet Earth who is an accident. Not a single person who hasn't been created by God to bear his image for his glory. That's a wonderful truth. That's a life-changing truth right there. That's a liberating truth and it should change what we see in the mirror. Because what we think of ourselves should never be as significant as the truth of that. That we, what we see in the reflection is someone who has been deliberately and uniquely created by God. And so tomorrow when you look in the mirror, what will reflect back at you is someone who has got different DNA, uh, different number of hairs on their head, different fingerprints, different design than anybody else who has ever existed on planet Earth and who will ever exist on planet Earth. You are created unique and deliberately as a special creation of the Creator God. And so that should shape the way you see yourself. Psalm 139 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together 
in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Repeat after me. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now do it like you mean it. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I stuffed that up, didn't I? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Excellent. Very good. Uh, some people, you just don't believe it. But Genesis 1 tells us clearly that we've been created by God in his image. The psalmist goes on to say, your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. Let's just backtrack. Beep, 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 beep. Your eyes saw my unformed body. Before you were even formed, God saw you. That's incredible. This is how deliberate you are. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them, before one day came to be. It's incredible. Understanding the Imago Day will, will shape our identity. You can find your identity in the fact that God deliberately created you. You're no accident. You have value and worth because you were created in the image of God. That's an incredible truth. And that is a game changer on how we view ourselves. But understanding the image of God will also shape how we interact with one another. Let me use the example of three hot topics in our culture right now. Let's talk first of all about asylum seekers. Huge issue in our upcoming election, the way that we view asylum seekers. And there are many different views and and people have very different opinions on on how we should treat asylum seekers. But when we understand um, that every person is created in the image of God... We won't make generalizations about asylum seekers. We won't see them as intruders or terrorists or people who aren't as important or deserving as we are. But instead, we'll see those who are seeking asylum from another country as people who are valuable because they have been created in the image of God. And so there's not one asylum seeker coming from any country in the world who's less important than you or less important than me. They are precious and valued in God's eyes because they have been created in his image. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a policy on asylum seeking, but what I do believe is that any policy we do have should be shaped and and impacted um, by our understanding of the image of God. It should extend compassion and care and generosity and support to people who also bear God's image. And so it shapes the way that we would see asylum seekers. Understanding the Imago Day will shape the way we see abortion. Just this week, I heard a message from a guy called David Platt. And he said this. He said, there are some issues where Christians are strangely quiet. We're passionate in our stand against poverty and slavery, injustice that we need to stand passionately against, but issues that don't bring us into conflict with the world around us. But on other issues that are much more contentious in the world around us, we are less likely to be passionate and more likely to be passive. In this way, our supposed social justice sometimes looks more like a selective social injustice. And I am zealous to show that as followers of Christ, we don't have the option to pick and choose which social issues we're going to apply biblical truth to. Abortion is one of those issues where I think we can be strangely quiet as Christians. But the truth is there are around about 130,000 abortions every single day. That should break our heart. 35,000 people live in Pakenham. Nearly four times the amount of that aborted every single day. It's just a figure, isn't it? That rolls off the tongue until you look either side of you and you see your own kids. 
and you realize how much you love them. And for us as a family, this really hits home because a couple of weeks ago I shared that, that my wife Kim was a young single mum, pregnant at the age of 16. And in that time in her life, so confusing, so young, uh, many people presented to her her options. And one of those options that presented was abortion. And we look at our daughter now. She's so precious, so beautiful. We love her so much. She's been such a blessing to our lives. And we realize all of a sudden what we would have missed out on. A beautiful daughter created in the image of God. And I'm so thankful to God for her life. Thank him every day for her life. And I'm so thankful for a wife who had the courage to say, this is going to cost me something. I wasn't planning this at 16 years of age. And yet that baby growing inside of me is precious because it's created in the image of God. You see, understanding the image of God will shape our understanding of abortion. And if each of those children are uniquely created and knitted together by God in the womb, in his image, he'll help us decide whether we think it's acceptable that 130,000 babies are being aborted each and every day. It'll shape our view on racism. Racism has caused perhaps as much division and pain as any other humanitarian issue in society. And it all comes down to this, a misunderstanding or a misapplication of our understanding of the image of God, the Imago Dei. You see, racism is a result of people not understanding that because our value doesn't come from the color of our skin or from the country we were born in or the circumstances we were raised in. Our value and our worth comes from the fact that we've been uniquely designed as God's image bearers. Each of us unique, each of us valuable, each of us precious, each of us created in his image. And so it will shape the way that we see racism. In fact, you can track back nearly every human abuse, whether it's issues of slavery, pornography, sex trafficking, domestic abuse, child abuse, murder, they are all Imago Day issues where we've failed to understand that every person has been created in God's image. And so we start to see how critical this concept is to grasp. But we start to see also how important Genesis is. Because from the very start of the Bible, it lays the foundation for our worldview on who God is, who we are, and how we interact with one another. We are created in the image of God, and because of that, we are created with purpose. And so you can know that your life is not pointless. It's not aimless, but you've been designed by God, and you've been given purpose in your life. And so it starts to unpack that in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And so we're going to focus on that for the rest of this message and also next week. And so purpose number one. You have been created for relationship. Isn't that a great thing? You've been created for relationship. I read an article this week from the BBC website. It was published on the 14th of May 2014. Let me read you the story of a girl called Sarah Shord. Sarah Shord's mind began to slip after about two months into her incarceration. She heard phantom footsteps and flashing lights and spent most of her day crouched on all fours listening through a gap in the door. That summer, the 32-year-old had been hiking with two friends in the mountains of Iraqi Kurdistan, where they'd been arrested by Iranian troops after straying onto the border with Iran. Accused of spying, they were kept in solitary confinement in Even Prison in Tehran, each in their own tiny little cell. She endured almost 10,000 hours with very little human contact before she was freed. She said one of the most disturbing effects was the hallucinations. In the periphery of my vision, I began to see flashing lights, only to jerk my head around to find that there was absolutely nothing there, she wrote in New York Times in 2011. 
At one point I heard someone screaming and it wasn't until I felt the hands of one of the friendlier guards on my face trying to revive me that I realised that the screams were my own. We all want to be alone from time to time, to escape the demands of our colleagues or the hassles of crowds, but not alone alone. For most people, prolonged social isolation is all bad, particularly mentally. We know this not only from reports by people like Shord, who have experienced it firsthand, but also from psychological experiments on the effects of isolation and sensory deprivation, some of which have had to be called off due to the extreme and bizarre reactions of those involved. Why does the mind unravel so spectacularly when we're truly on our own, and is there any way to stop it? When people are isolated from human contact, their mind can do some truly bizarre things. Why does this happen? It was an interesting article, and it was almost like they stumbled across something new, that we need one another. It's like they could have saved all the money on the experiments, they could have saved all the pain, and they could have turned to Genesis chapter 1, and they could get the reason why. The reason why people so struggle so badly when they're alone is because we have been created for relationship. And so to answer the question, why do we exist? Some people have put forward the idea that we're created because God was lonely. It's like at some point in eternity, uh, things were going well, but one day God just thought, there weren't days, but at one point God just thought, well, um, I'm lonely and bored and, and I need some, something to be entertained by, so I'm going to create humankind. But to believe that, we'd have to come to the conclusion that God created us because he lacked in some way and is therefore reliant on us to meet some inherent need that he has. Yet in this passage, we see that God already existed in perfect relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, last week we saw that the Trinity was at work in creation. God the Father creating by his word, who is Christ the Son, and also the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters. And yet right now, at the end of the chapter, we see that even more explicitly. Let us make mankind in our image in our likeness. This is the triune God at work in creating mankind. Let us, plural, not singular, not me, let us make mankind in our, not my, image, in our, not my, likeness. And so God did not create us because of his lack or need for a relationship, but rather out of the overflow of his perfect love, out of the overflow of unity, over the overflow of relationship, the fullness of joy, the perfection of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God creates mankind to reflect his relational image in creation. We're created for relationships. And one of the purposes of our life is to reflect God's character in the way that we interact with one another relationally. Genesis chapter 2, God had created creation. He says it's good, but even in the concept, uh, the context of everything being good, he says it's not good for man to be alone. And so he created Eve. Church, we need one another. It's not good to be alone. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, don't neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but do it all the more as you see the day approaching when Christ returns. We need one another. We're not created to be alone but rather we're created to be in relationship with one another. Relational beings because we're created in the image of a relational God. And so our first purpose is to relationship, is relationship, and to reflect his image and glory in creation through our relationship vertically with him, but also horizontally with one another. And so when people look at us as God's redeemed people, they should get a, a picture of people who are projecting the image of what God is like. 
He's a relational God. Now, this is why the gospel is so important. Every time we, we come to God's word, it's so important to, to see where the gospel fits into this. And the gospel is incredibly important because the image of God that we've been created in has actually been distorted by sin. It doesn't take long to see that our, our relationships are pretty busted up. I mean, we can just look at our own lives and see how we're out of relationship with people and we don't talk to certain people and, and things are a bit of a mess. We've hurt one another. We're selfish and self-centered. We hold grudges. We fail to forgive. We tell lies. We get offended. We break relationship over and over and over again. And this is why the gospel is so important. Last week we talked about God creating the universe by his word, Jesus, but that he also recreates by his word, Jesus. And so in Christ, in a relationship with him, uh, we're, we're sort of busted up and broken up, but in Christ, we're recreated. We're recreated by him because at the cross, Jesus took our sin, the thing that separates us from God, and he took it upon himself and he died. He paid the price, the punishment we deserve for our sin. That's the incredible truth of the gospel. And so in that, the Bible says that when we accept what Christ did, we're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come because we see what God did for us. God the Father gives his son, God the Son gives his life, God the Spirit fills our hearts. And so in Christ, we're now dead to sin and we're alive in Christ. And we're reminded at that point of salvation what he did for us. He's poured into our hearts his grace and his compassion and his unconditional mercy and love, and he pours it into our lives, not so that we can hoard it for ourselves and say, that feels nice. He pours it into our lives so it will overflow into our relationships with one another. And it's in this context of new relationship as the redeemed people of God that Jesus says these words. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, we'll start to image Christ in our relationships through a relationship with him. And so by our love and our relationships, we're imaging someone greater. We're reflecting the character of God to all the world. And so purpose one is that we've been created for relationship. Purpose number two is that we're created for multiplication. Verse 28, God bless them. And said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth. God created them, male and female, he created them. And we've talked about this before, but God created male and female, um, equal in value, equal in worth, equal in God's eyes, but different. Equal, but different. Equally valued and loved, but unique. Equal, but complementary. And so we see this uh, work its way out in church life. We see it work its way out in family. We see it work out its way in, in sex, don't we? You can't deny whatever you think about marriage and, and all that. You can't deny that God has created male and female to fit together. And when they fit together, what do we get? Enjoyment. And we get new life. But if you do, do it outside of God's order, you don't get new life. And so God has designed us to fit together with the purpose of multiplication. So he says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth. Now, if Adam and Eve had to live this out, what would have happened? We would have seen an increase in the image of God throughout creation. We would have seen men and women 
Um, you know, having babies and we would have seen God's image increasing through all of creation and we would have seen wonderful things happening and we would have seen God's creation as he designed it to be. But we all know in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve didn't live it out. They said, no, thanks God, we'll do it our own way. And we see the results of that. We see that we're broken, that sin once again has tarnished the image of God in multiplication. So instead of multiplying God's character, we end up multiplying wickedness and sin. Sinful parents give birth to sinful kids who become sinful parents who give birth to sinful kids and the world gets darker and darker. And yet once again the gospel is incredibly important because the Bible teaches in Christ all of our sin at the cross is exchanged. We hand over all our sin and all of our rubbish and in exchange we get given the righteousness of Christ. It's like giving a beaten up Datsun for a Ferrari. It's a pretty good exchange that goes on. And so we exchange our sin for the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so now as the redeemed people of God, we're called to once again go and multiply. But he says, now I want you to go and make disciples. You see, we are redeemed to once again reflect the image of God. And now we're told to go and multiply through discipleship. um, Baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that he commanded and he says in this mission I'll be with you to the very end of the age you see once again we've been redeemed in Christ and that initial purpose to go and multiply God's image has once again been recreated and our purpose now is to go and make disciples and so the question is how are we doing with that how seriously are we taking the call to to make disciples parents how seriously are we taking it with our kids are we role modeling to them what a follower of Christ looks like Are we encouraging them to be in the word? Are we praying that they'd come to know Christ? Uh, What about with one another? I just love meeting with our MCG on a regular basis to wrestle with God's word, to pray together, to have fellowship, to grow in our faith. And and so if you're not in an MCG, can I encourage you to consider joining one to to keep growing in your faith as a disciple? What about with our pre-Christian friends? Are we showing them what a follower of Christ looks like? Are we praying for them every day, believing for opportunities to speak into their lives so that we can disciple our friends? That's one of the reasons you exist, for multiplication through discipleship as we multiply God's image. Purpose number one, relationship. Purpose number two, multiplication. Purpose number three, dominion, to rule over. The truth is that we've been placed by God above all else in creation and one of our purposes as humanity is to rule over creation but not in a sinful way but rather as God's image bearers. Now this issue becomes big when a toddler falls into a gorilla enclosure and as a a culture we debate, do we protect the gorilla or do we protect the toddler? Uh, If you read Genesis chapter 1 and understand that we're created in the image of God, that's not a debate that we would have. We know that we would protect the toddler uh, every day of the week over the gorilla. Why? Because the gorilla has not been created in the image of God, but the toddler has. Just last week, there was another person killed by a shark in Western Australia. And I read a comment on someone's Facebook page, and they said this, Oh, look, more unnecessary animal slaughter. Human goes in the water, gets bitten, kill all the sharks. Now, I agree with her on that. I don't think culling sharks is the right way to go. But it's the next statement that I don't agree with. She says, I am so over all this human superiority complex, it is sickening. The world needs balance. She is right. We need to get over, uh, we need to get some balance. Uh, A toddler is going to always be more important than a gorilla uh, if we understand the image of God. 
And so is it, should we be concerned about the gorilla? Should we be concerned about the shark? Should we be concerned about the environment and the pollution and God's creation? Absolutely we should. As Christians, uh, they should be of great concern to us because of the dominion we've been given. We've been created to rule in his image. And so when God created the earth, he gave it to us as an incredible gift. And our role was to care for it and to, to look after it and to order it for his glory and for human flourishing. In verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. Once again, the gospel application is important because we're told to, to rule over, but we haven't ruled over in the, in the right way, have we? If I was to say to you today that my job as lead pastor is to rule over you as the congregation, you would think I'm a dictator. Why? Because the idea of ruling over has been tainted by our sinfulness and it's been tainted by our experience. And so even though we were created to rule, our sin has led us not to rule in the image of God, but instead to rule by our sinfulness. And so instead of caring for creation and stewarding the resources God has given us, we've plundered creation. We've ruled and led through domination, exploitation. We've ruined planet Earth. And so the gospel is so important because, once again, we know that Jesus is on a mission to redeem all things, that he is redeeming things to himself. He redeems us through the cross, that we are saved, forgiven, brought back into relationship with God, but he's redeeming all of creation. Paul says in the book of Romans that creation is groaning under the impacts of sin and it's awaiting its redemption. When Jesus returns, all things will be redeemed and things will be brought back to how they were originally designed to be by God. But in the meantime, as God's redeemed people, we are invited to join him on this redemption mission. And so we should be concerned about the environment. We should be concerned about creatures and animal cruelty and all of that because our job is to rule over creation in God's image to care and protect creation because as we care for creation, we give people a glimpse of a future reality what it's going to be like in Christ. And so we have so much purpose in our lives. Church, we don't need to have an identity crisis. Tomorrow morning when you wake up and look in the mirror, you don't have to think, what I, who am I? Does anyone love me? What am I doing here? You can look in the mirror and know that you've been created in God's image. You are loved and valued by him. And you are created with purpose to re- reflect his nature in relationship with one another, to multiply his image through discipleship and to have dominion as participation in his redemptive purposes. 